James made it quite simple for us. He said, whoever looks intently at the perfect law and does it will be blessed in what they do. And we thank God for the privilege of doing good. Yesterday I had a, an experience that changed me. Changed what I'm going to say a little bit this morning. I was at Mama's house gala. Sexy word for fundraiser. And Jan Lupia talked about Mama's house. And we had videos of young women who had come destitute, alone, pregnant, and how they found love and acceptance and comfort and shelter at Mama's house. And I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. And my heart was lifted at the good, at the good that people do. And I think of all the other goods that people do. The rescue mission, the Kairos ministry, so many things we hear about in our ministry moments here, of the good that God is doing in the world through God's good people. And then Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, and who played Tim Ballard in The Sound of Freedom, spoke. Marvelous message. I almost be threatened to get up here this morning and try to follow that act. But he talked about the other side of life. The movie he starred in, Sound of Freedom, was about child sex trafficking. Is there a worse evil in the world than kidnapping children and selling them for sex to perverts and weirdos? And so I, I went from this wonderful high of all the good that's done in the world to the fact that there is also evil in the world. And, and we saw it yesterday, we heard it yesterday at the macro level. People do these things. I could give you statistics about all the evil in the world and all the good in the world. But statistics tend to take good and evil and turn it into scientific factors. But people who are blessed by good and people who are damaged by evil, don't think about it statistically. I could tell you stories of good and evil. There are lots of them. The Bible has stories of good and evil. But when we tell stories about good and evil, it's those people out there. Those are good people. Those are evil people. Well, James took all of this stuff and he boiled it down and said, you know where the good in the world begins? It begins by individual human beings making choices to do good when they're confronted with the option of following God's teaching are following their own passions. And good happens at the micro level, hundreds of times every day, with every single individual on this planet. And micro decisions, choices of good and evil, result in macro decisions by a culture, by a country, by a world 
that is characterized by good or evil, but it's awfully easy to talk about countries and cultures and societies. James said, that's good, but I'm not, not going to let you get away with that. James boiled it down to saying, you and I are the perpetrators of good and evil by the choices that we make. And a culture is never as good or as evil as the single individuals that make up that culture. And James is saying, I'm telling you this for two reasons. I'm telling you that good and evil is, you are responsible for good and evil. Every single one of you who's reading this. And I'm telling you that for two reasons. The first reason I'm telling you that is you need to hear this. You desperately need to know this. It's the decisions you make over and over again every day that paint the picture of your life. Whether it's a blessed life that leads that is perfect and, and a crowning quality of life, or whether it's a wretched life that a person drawn away by their own lust and enticed and does whatever they feel good, regardless of the consequences, and they end up living a life of death. James says you need to know that because you need to live that way. But there's a second reason James told us that, and he introduced that second reason by that little picture of the first fruits. God created us as Christians. He born us, birthed us again, so that we would be the first fruits to his creatures, to the people he's created. Because James said, the second reason I'm telling you this is you have a responsibility to help other people live good lives, moral lives, by sharing God's good news with them. He said, I, I, I've, I've made it idiot-proof, almost. James said, I've boiled it down where you can make these conscious choices to be good or to be evil because you need it. But I've also boiled it down so that you can share it with others because every single Christian is under a commission. A commission to make disciples by baptizing people and by teaching them everything that Christ taught us, by bringing them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, by sharing the gospel with them. And then as they become members of God's family, they become Christians, they become members of our church, H, the capital C church, and this church. We are helping them grow. We are teaching them everything that Christ taught us. The last thing Jesus said before he left the earth is, you are my witnesses. And James says, yes, I told you this for you, but I also told you this so that you can be God's ministers, God's witnesses around the world. And somebody who took that very seriously was the Apostle Paul. He was a monomaniac with a mission. He had a passion. He had a lifelong goal. As I talk to a lot of people, their lifelong goal is to have a lifelong goal. <laughs> their supreme passion is to be passionate about something. Well, Paul said, I got something you can be passionate about. Let me share my passion with you, Paul said to the, to the Colossian Christians and to everyone who reads that book after, afterward. Christ is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Talk about a monomaniac with a mission. 
What I'm all about is bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And Paul used two very powerful words in the process that he uses to help everybody become fully mature in Christ. You heard that similar kind of language in James? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that's what God wants for your life. That's what God wants for your neighbor's life. That's what God wants for every life on this planet. To be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, or in Paul's language, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's what this church exists for. If we ain't doing that, we may as well sell the property and go do something that matters. That's what this church is about. It has to be. And when I hear Jan Lupia, and I hear Jim Cavizio, I say, that's it at the macro level. We can make such a difference for good or such a difference for evil. And what it all boils down to are these decisions we make on a daily basis. Saying we exist, my mission, every Christian should say, is to present everyone I come in contact with fully mature in Christ. What a beautiful thing. Paul got the mission. Paul got the vision. You say, yeah, but Paul had that great experience on the road to Damascus and Jesus came. Yeah, most of us don't have that experience. <laughs> It doesn't happen every day. It's kind of a weird sort of thing. But God said to Paul, this is my mission for you. But the same commission that God gave to Paul is the one he gave to us. It works itself out in different ways. Not everybody's going to stomp around the Roman world, the Mediterranean world, leading, planting churches. Some folks work in the business office. Some folks work at McDonald's. Some folks are retired. They play golf with people. They go to lunch with people. But wherever we are, we are carrying this disease called Christianity. And we need to cough on people <laughs> and infect them with it. It's a marvelous disease. I want to tell you, once, I stand here all day, Super Bowl's at three, I'll get you out of here by then. <laughs> I want to tell you one story. Jack Cooper, Jack is an ophthalmologist, was, he's in heaven now, Jack was an ophthalmologist, and he went to one of our things and got all excited about evangelism, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And so Jack uh, called, I don't know who makes his equipment, but he had, you know that thing when you go to the ophthalmologist and they sit you down and they put that big thing on your head? And they say, uh, read the first line, and A or B. And I say, I don't know. And A or B. And you know what the first line was? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Campus Crusades little pamphlet? God loves you and has a... All right, we, second line. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Third line, Jesus died to reclaim us for God. I mean, you're paying this guy for this. And he's got you trapped. Now, not everybody is an ophthalmologist. 
fact, the rest of that story is a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Howie Hendricks, was teaching in, in uh, New Delhi. And he, was, he used Jack's story as an illustration, just like I did this morning. And this lady, he could see she just got very animated when Howie told that story. So after the service, she came up. She was so excited. She said, uh, Jack was also a professor at Southwestern Medical School. And she came up and she said, I had Jack Cooper as a professor when I was doing my ophthalmology residency at, in, in Dallas. And he told us this story as a way to introduce us to the gospel. And I became a Christian because of what Jack told that story. And now I'm an ophthalmologist here in New Delhi, and I do the same thing here in India. So that's pretty creative and pretty expensive. But what do you do? Where do you come in contact with people? You can't sit them in a chair and put a big apparatus on their head and charge them a lot of money and uh, preach the gospel while they're paying you. <laughs> if you can find a gig like that, let me know. But you do go to lunch with people. You do have neighbors. And so do I. And just as Paul said, I am following the Great Commission passionately, stomping around the Mediterranean. I'm thrown in prison. I'm beaten up. I'm put in jail. Why? Because I am so convinced that the difference in our culture and our world between good and evil begins one-on-one, one-on-one in the human heart, making this very simple choice over and over and over again. I'm going to do what God said I should do. Even though my hormones are screaming at me to go down that track, my faith is telling me I need to go down this track. Elton Trueblood, in his book, Company of the Committed, wrote, perhaps the greatest single weakness of the contemporary Christian church is that millions of supposed members are not really involved at all. And what is worse, do not think it strange that they're not. The churches which are succeeding best are those in which the involvement of the rank and file of the members is most nearly complete. This means a general acceptance on the part of total membership of the responsibility of being official representatives of Jesus Christ in their daily life. I like true blood. We're going to give you a softball. On February 22nd, Sherry announced it earlier, we're going to have a presentation here uh, of the prodigal son. Another ophthalmologist, interestingly, Larry Gerbens, was fascinated by the parable of the prodigal son. And he discovered that there's more art on that parable than any other parable. And he and his wife traveled the world taking pictures of all the different art forms, 
related to the prodigal son. And they've gathered it together in this beautiful program, and they have it in this book, which, by the way, they're going to give out to those who come on February 22nd at 1130 in our sanctuary, and then join us for lunch afterward. Uh, but, but there's no more powerful demonstration explanation of the gospel and God's forgiveness and God's love and God's welcoming home the sinner than the prodigal son. So if you ever want an easy thing to invite people to come and hear the gospel, this is it. No excuses. Everybody knows about the prodigal son. So just as a first step and saying, you know, I've never witnessed before. I've never Gone, I've never done that. I've never invited anybody to church. Here's an opportunity. Let's fill this joint up and let people hear that this wonderful parable of the prodigal son is all about people coming to Jesus Christ, finding forgiveness for their sins, being introduced to a whole new life, and become one of those who makes good decisions, right choices, consistently. And as one more person who's helping the United States of America become a more moral society, one person at a time, one person at a time, bring your friend, bring your neighbor, let them experience the revolution of Jesus Christ at work in their life.